It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and this week I'm joined by Lucas Lajos and Kenny Lavin. The whole gang's here this week. Everyone's together again. So how's it going, guys? Good. All right. So this week for Promote Extend Trade, um, it is our first show since... Game of Thrones ended, so I think it's topical that we talk about big busts. And oh boy, the Mets... you just like you're gonna start an absolute tire fire in the comments with that that <laughs> dig right there. R slash free folk will get word of this. <laughs> <laughs> the Mets have had quite a few draft busts over the years, so it was a little hard to narrow it kind of down to three. But of these three. Who would you guys promote, extend, or trade? And I have some accompanying info on these guys if, if you're not familiar with them. So we have Sean Abner, Billy Bean, and Steve Chilcott. I don't know who two of these people are. All right, so <laughs> we'll just go over li- we'll just go over all three, I guess. So in case anyone who's listening doesn't know, um, Sean Abner was selected in the 1984 draft. He was first overall. Um, Arguably, he was the top high school athlete in the country. He was basically a five-tool kind of center fielder. He was from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And he always had plate discipline issues in the lower minors. And then they really got exposed when he got to double A. And the Mets eventually traded him to the Padres. He kind of bounced around a bit in baseball. He was never really able to put anything together. And then he retired in 1995. And uh, just to make it better or worse, I'm not really sure, the team signed him because they figured he'd be cheaper. But he was one of two guys on the draft board this year. And the other guy was some dude named Mark McGuire. Ah. So it's always good. Um, How do you spell his last name? Abner. A-B-N-E-R. Okay. Next up is Billy Bean. He was selected in... He was selected 23rd overall in the 1980 draft. Um, He was very 
well thought of high school athlete. He was expected to go to Stanford, so he dropped from you know higher on the draft boards to 23 when the Mets picked him, and he kind of was misevaluated, I guess. Um, the Mets thought that he was more refined than he actually was, so they pushed him really hard, and he struggled and dealt with anxiety issues. And eventually, he he got to the upper minors. He did okay, got a cup of coffee. Then he was traded to Minnesota, and from there to Detroit, and then to Oakland. And in Oakland, he eventually retired and became a scout, and then he became the Billy Bean. And finally, uh, Steve Chilcott, he was selected first overall in the 1966 draft. And basically, he had a shoulder injury in 1967 and was ravaged by injuries the rest of his career and was released in 1971. And then he retired in 1972. And he is one of only three 1-1 picks in baseball history to never play in the majors, along with Yankees 1991 pick Brian Taylor. And Astros 2013 pick Mark Appel. And again, just like um, Sean Abner, I'm not sure if this makes things better or worse. But the Mets picked Chilcott over some guy named Reggie Jackson. Because the Mets had concerns that Reggie Jackson dated white women. And they didn't want to have to deal with that. So. (laughs) Yes. Of those dudes, who would you promote, who would you extend, and who would you trade? Extend Billy Bean, I think, is the easy call. Yep. Because, I mean, did he actually have the best career of any of these guys? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think he he did. It's between him and Abner, definitely, because the third guy didn't make the base. Make it, right. I mean, Billy probably had the bet was actually the best player and also had, like, all the post-career stuff, which is, like... Fairly impressive, given that he he turned himself from a player into uh, a pretty successful GM. Um, I don't know. Flip a coin for the other two. Let's let's. Uh, I'd probably if we're extending Bean, I'd probably promote Abner and then trade. Uh, what was it Shilcott? Shilcott. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, he didn't make the bigs. So yeah, Chilcott really did not add any value. I believe that mm-hmm. Abner at least had a cup of coffee, um, which we know Chilcott didn't. But yeah, Bean is the obvious one that stands out here. Chilcott, Chilcott seems more like he he uh, had Chilcott seems like he got uh, had some bad luck with injuries as opposed yep. to just being bad. So. I think I'll actually promote him and trade Abner, but mm. I mean, we're we're nitpicking yeah. at this point. Yep, and splitting hairs. I think the most depressing thing though is obviously the what could have been. I mean, yep. yeah, Mets could have used Reggie Jackson, and you know, in the late '80s when they were just a a a, a slightly slightly away from winning, uh, a guy named Mike M- Mark McGuire would have been pretty useful. Man, could you imagine? Well, where would you have played them with Keith? Maybe they never trade for Keith if they have Mark McGuire. Wait, I, I'm pretty. Wait, so McGuire debuted in what, 1989? Yeah, 88 or 89. So Keith was basically on the way out by then, right? Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Player. Oh, no, 86. He debuted, and then mm-hmm. rookie home run leader was 87. I mean. Oh, so, yeah, that would have been that would have been a tough decision. But didn't they play? Uh, and and forgive me, Met fans who know history, because I'm very bad at this. Wasn't didn't they like stick Rusty in the outfield frequently during '86? I believe yes. So like, how much wor- worse in the outfield is a young Mark McGuire? Right, and plus yeah. you, know, you could you, when you have a guy like that, you find ways to get him in the lineup. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, that was a little depressing. It's the Mets. Yeah. Westerner. Well, let's go something to let's go to something a little less depressing, like the Mets affiliates and how they did. Um, Syracuse lost every single game that they played last week. Oh, good. Yep, they went 0 and 6, and probably, they dropped. It probably didn't help that half the roster got promoted. To that is very true. Half, half the roster ha- hopped on an Uber to City Field. Yep. They dropped from being in first to being, uh, no, excuse me, from being in first with a game and a half 
lead to third, two games behind the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Railriders. So that's kind of sucky. Uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies went four and two for the week, and they are now twenty-six and seventeen, which is a half game behind the Trenton Thunder for first place in the Eastern League Eastern Division. St. Lucie Mets went three and five, and they are now an even twenty-four and twenty-four in the year, and that's six games behind the Palm Beach Cardinals for first. And the Columbia Fireflies actually had a winning week. They went four and three, and they are currently nineteen and thirty. But they are dead last again in the division, eight games behind the Charleston River Dogs. So, not really a great week. That's rough. Um, our hitter of the week is someone who uh, helped contribute to those four Columbia victories, is Mark Vientos. In seven games this week that he played, he hit 346, 345, 538 with nine hits, two doubles, and a home run. And yes, his on-base percentage was a point lower than his average because weird things that happen with sack flies and whatever else. But uh, Vientos was selected in the second round of the 2017 draft, and the Mets signed him for slightly above slot value of $1.5 million. And even though they spent about 500000 more to get him, uh, slide value is about a, th- uh, a million. Um, he was definitely uh, a steal at 59. Um, he was considered first-round talent, you know, uh, high first round, but he got off to a slow start at American Heritage High School, and he hurt his quad during the spring, and he had a very strong commitment to the University of Miami, so he dropped, and the Mets were able to pick him up. So even though they paid a little extra for him, it was a good bargain. Um, they signed him to the GCL Mets to start his career, and he held his own as one of the youngest players. Uh, he hit 259, 316, 397 in 47 games in 2017. Uh, he ended the year getting into a couple of games with Kingsport, and then he was assigned there for the entire 2018 season. And as one of the youngest players in the Appalachian League, he not only held his own, but he excelled. Uh, he hit 287, 389. 489 in 60 games last year. He walked 37 times, he struck out 43 times, and he hit 11 home runs, which is most by far on the Kingsport Mets. And uh, tied from fourth in the Appalachian League, along with Juan DeFranco and Nolan Gorman. So we here at Amazing Avenue, uh, this crew right here, we named Vientos the Mets' third best prospect of the winter. And clearly he isn't living up to those expectations right now. But he is heating up. And if we look to history, Vientos did do the same exact thing in his senior year of high school. And then he did the same thing last year um, with Kingsport. So he may be one of those guys that is just kind of a slow starter. We don't really have enough data right now. But last year he hit 275, 362, 392 over the course of the first couple weeks of the season. And then he hit 291, 397, 517 for the rest of the year. And a lot of people contributed that to Jared Kalanick being um, assigned to the team and him kind of inspiring Vientos uh, to be better. But, you know, it just might be a thing with Vientos that he's a slow starter. Um, But he's having a down year no matter how you look at it, no matter how you want to explain it. Um, But... You know, looking at it again, the context of maybe he's a slow starter. He hit 227, 310, 307 in 22 games in April. And he is currently hitting 288, 322, 500 in 22 games in May. So it's a not a majorly stark difference, but it is pretty different. Especially, uh, well, I should say the average and everything on base is. Not major, but the power is. I mean, that's about 200 points in slugging right there. Um, I was super high on Vientos coming to the season. I was comparing him to guys like Nolan Gorman, saying that they really weren't too different. And the profiles aren't too different, but obviously the numbers, you know, there's, there's no way of saying that the two are the same. The numbers are just very different this year. Vientos is scrapping and low leg, and Gorman isn't. But with the signs that Vientos might be coming out of his funk, um... He's striking out a lot less over the past month. 
And his BAPIP is pretty much the same as it was in April. So it's not like all of a sudden he has a crazy high 500 BAPIP or something and he's just kind of benefiting from a little luck that are making the numbers look better. That's not the case. So hopefully he is able to get at this low and he makes up for some of the of the ground that he lost being bad in April and he goes like crazy for the rest of the summer. What do you guys think about Vientos' season so far? With the slow starter argument is interesting to me because I wonder if it's like an indictment on his uh, off-season plan. Like maybe whatever he does, maybe maybe he needs to mix up the whatever work he's doing in the off-season. The Mets need to help him create a new off-season plan to help him avoid these slow starts if this is something he's struggling with repeatedly. Yeah, and he is a guy that is... I guess, quote-unquote, known for, you know, not exactly being the most athletic guy. So it could be something related to his conditioning and workouts and stuff. That is a good, that is an interesting point. Which isn't supposed to be a knock on him, right? Like, he's, what, 19? Yeah. Right. Like, he's not, he's not, like, out of shape. He's just not super athletic. He's right. not, it's, like, quick twitch muscle. He's athletic. not he's, showing up to camp to 50 pounds overweight or anything, but he might have be a little softer than you want him at the start of camp. And like the Mets are the major league, they are the quote unquote adult adults in the room. They should sit him down and say, "Hey, we put together this plan for you this off season. Here you go." It'll be interesting if that's the case because that does seem like a relatively easy fix, or if not a fix, you know, a way to kind of. Uh, I, I wouldn't the, the be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they sent him to Barwis this offseason. Oh boy, here we go with Barwis again. Either yeah, destroys his be. shoulder or shows up in great shape. <laughs> it's one or the other. For, or first one, then the other. <laughs> yeah, entirely possible. I mean, Barwis has been good at some things. Jimenez and Rosario basically jumped like two grades of speed after working with Barwis, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. there's been a litany of dudes who have blown out their shoulders after doing... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Barwis' Barwis's routine is good for just making people faster, but I really question... Because, like, it's training strength speed... Strength training sounds insane. Right. Like, <laughs> training speed is training speed in any sport. Speed is speed. But training... Doing football-style strength training for baseball, not really as applicable. Right. So, has anyone really gotten a power spike from going to Barwis? No one comes to mind for me. I can't recall anyone's profiles like yeah. radically changing or anything. Yeah, I think most of the power spikes that we've seen have come from like launch angle adjustments and swing right. plane adjustments instead of like pure strength. That seems like a bit of a a stretch there to say, oh, this guy, you know, there's lots of other ways to get power increases that aren't just here lift this stack of barbells. Right, <laughs> and like um, I do think it's a good idea to give your top prospects off-season workout plans. Like mm-hmm. my my take on this, and I think this is what most people think, is that if you're investing millions of dollars into these guys, maybe throw a hundred thousand dollars into developing off-season plans for them. Mm-hmm. Like it's not not exactly rocket science to come up with that. Yep, well, I mean, they barely pay minor leaguers, and they're barely, like, able to eat, like, normal human beings, so... Yeah, they, don't they still make people pay to go to Barwis Camp? But uh, make I don't know if they still do, but they okay. did for a very long time. Um, I don't know. I feel like um, Vientos could probably stand to uh, get some speed training in there, similar to... Um, yeah. Especially if you have aspirations for him to stay at third. You know, working on his lateral movement with somebody who's been known to be good at that. This is is something that I always feel can be worked on. It's just a matter of the organization putting the effort in and the player putting. Like Max Muncy has turned himself into a a decent major league third baseman and a semi-viable second baseman. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if if Max Muncy can do this, (laughs) Mark Vientos can. They can develop a plan to make sure Vientos stays at third, unless he grows another three inches and whatever so yeah uh i mean the mets generally need to do a better job of like have we heard of anything of them being like involved with any of these like high-tech hitting instructors or anything take a wild guess i'm, I'm assuming none of us have heard anything <laughs> no uh but there's like lots of guys out there now lots of like different sort of like hitting clinics mm. 
That's Meanwhile, the cool. Dodgers even have like their guys training in VR, which is something I've thought of thought would be interesting forever, right? <laughs> if you could pop on a VR headset and look at pitches, come like that that would be a huge tool to use. So mm-hmm. that is pretty cool. The Mets don't do that kind of stuff. We don't yeah, do that to you. The Mets still use like actual video. <laughs> oh, good. Pop the tape in the VCR. Oh, no. you meant actual video cassettes. <laughs> Static and everything. Yep. Got to hit that tracking button. Oh, no. All right. Well, we'll move on now to our pitcher of the week. And it's this guy that everyone at this point should be very familiar with. And for the third time this year, it is Anthony Kay. He uh, pitched one game this week and he threw seven no hit innings, walking one and striking out seven. So, uh, there really is not that much more to say about Kay at this point. I mean, he had a no-hitter through seven innings before they took him out. He should be in AAA. Uh, I assume that he'll get bumped up in a start or two, you know, around the beginning of June. But anything past that, and they're being just way too conservative and slow. As it is, he's made 10 starts, and 50, he's thrown 50 innings at Binghamton. And that's a pretty decent chunk of the minor league season to evaluate how a guy is performing. And I know the Mets use certain benchmarks to gauge whether or not a guy's ready or not, but you really can't be slavish to those things. And if the Mets have K spend additional time in Binghamton, then they definitely are. I can understand wanting to see, you know, certain things out of Guy before concluding that he's ready. But I mean, what more do you want to see out of K before bringing him up to Syracuse? He's been good for the entire season. He's been dominant for individual starts. If you're holding him back because, like, he's never gotten 10 swinging strikes on his changeup, or he's never thrown more than, like, 75% of his pitches for strikes, or whatever random benchmarks that they might be using, you're basically ignoring the entire body of work that he's had so far, and you're ignoring basically literally every other sign that's saying that he's ready to be promoted. So, I don't know. (laughs) He's not gaining anything at this point, right? Like, he could just clown people in double-A with two pitches and have no no data on what he needs to improve, no competitive impetus. Like, I'm sure... Now, I'm not, I'm not questioning Kay's work ethic, to be clear. I'm sure all of these guys always want to get better, but you have no, like, competitive impetus to get better because you're just blowing people away already, right? Like... So you don't have the data and you don't have the intangible factors either. Promote the guy already. Come on. He's legit given up one run in the month of May. Did he make start. another seven inning start this he, week? The last three in a row have been seven innings. I thought it was four in a row, but all right, whatever. Like, Oh, is that including? Yeah, that's including the 20th. Promote the dude, please. Yep. There, there's yeah. no reason for him to still be there. Like, he's 24. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's not young for the Supposed Eastern to be a fast-moving prospect. <laughs> He's showing you that he might be who you wanted at draft time. <laughs> Boy, I can't wait till we're having the same conversation about Zach Thompson in two years. <laughs> Kill me, please. Oh. I, I, like, what else are we supposed to say about Kay at this point? 50% of this podcast has been us pitching about Anthony Kay. Pretty much. New sheriff in town. Well, according to according to the rules that I set up last year um, in relation to player of the week, a guy can only be player of the week four times. So if K performs phenomenally again at any point in the year, we can talk about that. But after that, no more K. He's dead to us. <laughs> He's dead to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's take a break. We'll regroup and we will be back after this. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm by, joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. And this week, we are going to go back a couple of years and see how the Mets did in the draft. It's kind of unrealistic to pretend like we know anything about the process or the guys that would have been better in like... 40 rounds in. So we're just going to kind of stick to the first round here and, you know, just go over who the Mets picked, what we think of that, and then who, at the time, we would have rather have uh, seen the Mets go with. So let's go back to 2014. And the Mets picked 2000, uh, excuse me, the Mets picked Michael Conforto. And I don't think that anybody has any problems with that. Uh, none whatsoever. Yeah, no, he's like my platonic ideal for what a, a good draft pick in the top ten should be. Uh, I, you know, I'm Go a ahead, big, dumb idiot, and I wanted Bradley Zimmer at the time because they struck me as similar offensive talents, but one of them could play center field, and the other had defensive questions about his ability as a corner outfielder. Um, I'll reiterate, I'm a big, dumb idiot. I'm uh, sure there I were mean, lots of people who felt that way as well. Yeah, I mean, things like this, looking back in retrospect, is a lot of, you know, things at the time that seemed right or, you know, misinformation or just guys have changed in the years that they were picked and then developed by the organization. So, you know, his his career could have gone a completely different way if he was selected by the Mets and developed in the way that the Mets wanted him to go, you know, so... Also, Conforto got a lot better in the Mets system. Like, um, he yeah. was very polished as a hitter, but the power kind of came on in a way that I don't know if anybody predicted. Like, he he's basically pretty- like a seven, a seven, high end seven power hitter when healthy. Like, yep. Yeah, um, he definitely improved in that regard. I mean, he was always seen as like a good hitter slash. You know, like a good average yeah. slash power threat, but never, you know, I don't think the amount of power that he's shown. Like as a yeah. draft, in the draft, he was presented like, here's a polished bat that's going to hit for a good average and hit 20 home runs and move fast through your system. It's like, okay, yep. that's interesting. And he might not be able to play the corner outfield. It's like, And it all turns right. out he's like a very good corner outfielder and can fake center. And, and um, hit 35 home runs instead of 20, right? Yep. So, and the strikeouts, you know, he's always struck out a fair bit, but, you know, they've never been as bad as people seem to think they would be. Um, strikes out less than Bradley Zimmer. Yep, mm-hmm. and uh, the approach has been very good, which I think was part of his scouting report at, at time at the time of draft that he was always going to take his fair share of walks. But he's yeah. let me let me look up where he is on the, the leaderboard of uh, walk percentage right now. Like he he when he was described to me as like a, oh no no Marquez always played good defense, so that's not a good comp. I'm trying to come up with a good. I mean, maybe no. Bobby Brady was a better hitter than he was compared to. Um, I mean, I vague, I I don't even remember. I think I wrote like the profile of him, but I wasn't doing. Alex Nelson is still in charge of our draft stuff, but I remember seeing Conforto like a two sixty hitter with like twenty home run potential. Yeah, you know, who you know that that kind of player, you know, who played okay defense in the corner, nothing spectacularly terrible, but. Nothing really that great either. Just kind of serviceable. But, but yeah. hey, guys, remember that every system has a Michael Conforto. Never right. forget. Hashtag never forget. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's um, currently the sixth highest walk percentage in baseball. And uh, he, he only strikes out like. 20, like 20, 21. Yeah, 21 this year, 21.7. But uh, yeah, for his career. It's around there. He's had like the most quiet 150 WRC plus ever this season. Yeah, he's just like a really good hitter. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're like, I feel like Conforto hasn't done something any while in a while. Opens up fan graphs. Hmm, he's 50% better than league average. Yep. Yes. 
Like the dude's a monster. Yep. Good job, Mets. Yeah, they Well that bring another point I wanted to make about the twenty fourteen draft. It's just like how loaded that class was and like high end yeah. college talent. Yeah. It was very good. Like um Conforto is currently the third best player in that draft by B War, uh behind Matt Chapman and Aaron Nola. Um right behind him are Kyle Freeland and Trey Turner. Kinda hard to mess that up. <laughs> yeah. But Chapman wasn't until Chapman was late first, right? Yeah, and he but he also developed late, so I, yeah. I don't know if you could say that he was a better dra- choice. Now, no, because you know. it was, took him another two years to get to the big leagues uh, behind like Conforto, Turner, um, Nola, and Schwarber all made the big leagues in 2015. And, you know. Chapman, it took an extra two years. So oh, I, I remember when uh, t- uh, Conforto v. Schwarber was a debate. Oh, yeah. Well, I never I never understood that. They, it was always a dumb <laughs> debate. It was like, okay, yeah, this guy plays up the middle, but he's a really bad catcher. <laughs> I have to admit that I was on Team Schwarber. Really? Oof. But again, I mean, I, That I was don't... a very popular opinion during the draft. Hell, the, I Cubs, don't... the Cubs agreed with you. <laughs> right. I mean, his his catching ability was always known to be kind of minimal. I don't think that at the time anybody saw him being as bad a defensive catcher as he you know, was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a couple of years after the draft and he's basically full time DH slash left fielder. So who's like a 10 percent above league average bat that can't. Right. And then. He was always seen as, you know, like I always saw Conforto as a guy that would hit for better average, but did not have as much power. I saw Schwarber as having more power, and that just hasn't really been the case. You know, I'm sure Schwarber would win a home run derby, but you know, who cares? Right. It, that's why we takes grade a little more raw that. power. That's why we grade raw power and game power separately. Like, yep, Schwarber yep. has so much swing and miss that he can't get to all that raw power most of the time. And then, like, he'll put, he'll launch one 500 feet out of Wrigley sometime, and, and it's majestic, but dude's batting, what, 210? Cool. Something like that, yeah. Uh, 230. Oh, a little better than... Uh, 226 after today. <laughs> he's like, like they, it's, it's not that Schwarber's a bad player. He's a, use, he's a useful outfielder, but he's, like, budget Adam Dunn. I guess. I'd yeah. rather have Conforto. Yeah, I don't think anybody is still holding on to Schwarber over. No. No. Yeah, no. It's like sometimes guys develop. Happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right, well, let's move on to 2015 now. And the Mets pick was nobody because they surrendered their first-round pick when they signed Michael Kadir to a uh. two-year $21 million deal. And as we all know, he hit 259, 309, 391 in 117 games, and then he just retired. So, um, if the Mets hadn't signed him, uh, they would have picked at 15, where the Brewers ended up drafting. And they picked up Trent Grisham with the 15th pick. And to date, nobody selected in that middle part of the first round has really distinguished themselves too much yet. Um, You have to go all the way down to 24 when the Mets selected Walker Bueller to find the guy that's worked out best so far. But after 15, where the Mets would have picked, you have the Yankees at 16 with James Caprellian, the Yankee, um, the Indians at 17 with Brady Aiken, the Giants at 18 with Phil Bickford, the Pirates at 19 with Kevin Newman, the A's at 20 with Richie Martin, the Royals at 21 with Ash Russell, the Tigers at 22 with Bo Burrows, and then the Cardinals at 23 with Nick Plummer. So those are some interesting names, and especially at the time, most of these guys were seen as, you know, mid-first-round guys. Did you mention Soroka at 28? No, no, I was just going up to uh, Bueller, who was the mm. highest, oh, yeah, best guy, yeah. Could Brian Hayes also worth Mount Ryan Mountcastle also in there? I mean, there are a couple guys. Yeah. I mean, even Capriellian was good enough to be traded. Was he the centerpiece of that Sonny Gray deal? Back I think Sonny... it was him and Mateo. Right. I, was, I forgot Mateo and then uh, Dustin Fowler. Right. But that, like he was good enough at one point before the and he's before the injuries totally borked him. 
I would have rather had the pick than Michael Kadire. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't think any, especially in, in retrospect, how he performed. I don't think anybody would revisit that uh, signing. Didn't, did they? Didn't they sign him before the the Rockies had even offered him arbitration or something? Or... Right. So in, in theory, we could have retained that pick, but. If you want to dig a little deeper and be sadder, uh, competitive balance round A, Austin Riley, Tristan McKenzie. Ugh. Anyone in round two? Yeah, there's a decent amount of talent there. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of didn't work out. Not great, Bob. No. How well, do you guys feel about Desmond Lindsay? Uh, um, not great as a, as a draft pick. As a draft pick, did you? Like I, I had no problem with the pick at the time. You know, athletic outfielder. It's a second round pick. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, it's really no through no no through no fault of his own that he's kind of uh, his star is diminished. I mean, we knew that he had injuries, but you just you know a lot of these things have just kind of been random nicks and dings that have just built up. You know, and you just can't, I don't know, you can't foresee a guy falling victim to his own body, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a pres- it's, it's a, an idea that you will know about and, and be cognizant of. But, I mean, he could have gotten over it in his, you know, second year, and he's a great player. But, unfortunately, that's not exactly what happened. Uh, right, well... Let's move on now to 2016, and the Mets picked Justin Dunn. So, not too big of a fan of that pick. Uh, wasn't the worst thing that they could have done, but I don't think that it was the, the best pick either. Who would you have rather had them take? Uh, at that point in the at that point in the 2016 draft, uh, there weren't too many. Names, I, I feel that really stood out to me. Names that, you know, um, what's the word? Called out to me. I really liked Alex Kirillioff, and he got picked at 15, whereas the Mets went with 19. And I also liked Blake Rutherford, and he got picked at 18, which is right before the Mets picked. Mm-hmm. But of the guys that got picked, that, uh, of the guys that were still left, I liked TJ Zoik. He's um, yeah, similar prospect, right? To done, but like, yeah, he he was more a, he polished, was, right? More polished, more uh, stamina, I guess. Whatever he he was more proven. He was picked at twenty one by the Blue Jays, and basically he's a, a six foot seven right hander, so he had a good body, low to mid nineties fastball. Um, he had a crazy crazy ground ball rate. It was seventy six point four in uh the ncaa which is like insane right and then he had a good slider uh his dad was like a semi-professional so his dad kind of taught him how to throw a good slider and yeah it is it is similar to dunn except with you know with a, a better body basically good fastball good slider and good body but i know a lot of the buzz at the time had them taking Will Craig instead, and I was just kind of glad they avoided that. Yes. Um, Will Craig, for those of you who don't know, is a bad-bodied third baseman that the Pirates selected, and I don't know what he's done since, but it hasn't been notable. Let's he's see. been pretty bad uh, since in, in the years prior to this mm-hmm. year. His power was just not really manifesting at all. And then last year... And now this year, it finally... <laughs> yeah, it finally has. He has 14 homers in 166 at-bats this year. Yep. Yikes. Only uh, a 116 WRC plus, though. Somehow. What league is this? The International League? I don't know what league this is. Yeah, International. Yes. Yeah, so Juice Ball. Yeah, yeah pretty much. He did have 20 homers in bingo last year. Mm-hmm. Or not in bingo, in the, the Eastern League last year. But, but his, his OPS was still 7 he, he doesn't really make a ton of contact, uh, doesn't really walk a ton, you know. And, of course, that year in the second round, the Mets picked Peter Alonso. And the good version the, of the... Right. The comparisons <laughs> between the two of them, you know, kind of big, chunky corner infielders with power. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, t- until, you know, last season and then this year, Craig wasn't even hitting for power. So it looked like a very, very obvious win for the Mets that they went with Alonso in the right. second round. Right. It's not like who there's a ton of... Go ahead. I was say, who, who would have you guys would have uh, rather seen than done? Or would you have rather have had done? It's all within the fudge factor for done. Um you know, a lot of guys that in the, the sort of like 15 to, or we'll say seven, like oh, he, he was kind of like, there was like a tier that the Mets picked just after the tier ended, you know, Forrest Whitley, Blake Rutherford being the two picks before him. Um, I didn't really have a strong preference of Dunn versus anybody. Uh, there's a lot of comparable guys that I probably would have preferred, though. Uh, Dane Dunning is a name that comes to mind. He made a few top 100 lists. Uh, you know. I would, like I said, I was just glad they avoided Craig. And mm-hmm. I mean, the guy, while, as the draft was developing, I was really hoping Rutherford would fall because I believe he was originally projected to go much, much higher. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and it seemed like he was going to make it to the Mets. And I remember there being some rumors that they'd take him. Mm-hmm. And instead, they took said the Yankees swept in. So I didn't have... I don't have any strong feelings about this pick. I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the K pick at 31 is a little yeah, interesting. Yeah, we could get to that. In a, like, this might just be a... Um, oh, there's definitely a word for this. Crap. Yeah, well, it might just be like a perception thing because you'll... And maybe anyone who's evaluating their own team's picks over the years would feel this way. But it feels like the Mets over the last five years or so have very often picked right at the start of a new tier, mm-hmm. which often means you're getting less value with your pick, if that makes sense. Yep. Agreed. Um, so I don't know, like, I'm sure there are arguments that this isn't actually true and that we all have bi- we're all biased because we're like, man, look at these good players that I wanted that got right selected right in front. But... I think this is a case where there was a tier that the Mets just missed out on, similar to last year, though Kellenic obviously worked out. And then they also had a second first-round pick, and that was the uh, aforementioned Anthony Kay, who, with one workout outing, will be dead to us. <laughs> but um, he was selected at 31, and I know, Lucas, you're not a fan of the process. The results uh, have obviously been good. Yeah. Like I hated this pick, and I think I, I've definitely talked about why I hate this hated this pick before, right? Like, do you want to give us the bullet points? Yeah, the bullet point <laughs> is that if you draft a guy that's if you draft Anthony K, you're drafting a back end polished college arm whose real value, whose first round value is that he moves fast. That's fine. Like that's not a profile that excites me, but it's useful. Fine. But then when you draft a guy to fit that profile who you know has a borked elbow and has been pushed harder – has been abused harder than any other pitcher in college baseball at UConn because they do that to their pitchers, mm-hmm. you're destroying his only value proposition. That is moving fast. Yeah, you're basically trading the upside that you could get with that pick for floor, but the floor is disappearing because, yeah, he's got a borked elbow. Floor like, in. And I <laughs> – I'm I'm definitely biased because at Cal I saw Dalton Jeffries a lot and I and Dalton Jeffries to me struck me as okay he's a guy who has doesn't have a million miles on his arm has a shoulder thing but hasn't been super injury prone otherwise and has a similar arsenal decay albeit from the right hand side so here's a guy who could actually who if you want that polished guy with a good changeup who should move fast and be a back end starter. Take the one that's less likely to get injured. Now, of course, Jeffries has like barely pitched at all because he's injured. Again, I'm a big dumb idiot, but that's that. That's the point. If you're going to take this profile, don't take someone that you know is going to that you that you know has a, a borked elbow already. Yep. I mean, at the I don't really recall anybody else exciting me at the time. You know, in the in no. the 30s. So I'm not going to say like you know. I would have preferred anybody else other than Kay. I mean, it kind of worked out. Yep. Um, if you want to go with like a, a straight revisionist history, because obviously, you know, this was a little before um, I was like really into the draft. I basically like was really into the system and would follow guys after they got drafted. But uh, 
Uh, Taylor Trammell was picked at number 35 and is currently... It's like universally top 20. At yeah, least. yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's very good. <laughs> yeah, so it would have been nice if they were able to get him, but... But what are you going to do? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, yeah, it, it worked out in the end, so it, it is whatever. I mean, it's um, working out, and now they're still trying to shoot themselves in the foot because yeah. they won't promote him. <laughs> What's the uh, line? What's Jared's line? The Mets. Or Jeff's really? line, whoever's line. It's like, the Mets. Yeah, someone do it. Someone else do it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's go up to 2017 now, and the Mets picked David Thompson, who is uh, very Pete, similar what? to uh, Kay. David, David Peterson, you mean? Oh, Freudian me. slip. <laughs> Whoops. David Peterson. It would be really bad if they picked David Thompson. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so, um, I was not a fan of the Thompson pick. Were, were any of you guys? Was was he any of your preferred uh, selections? Are we talking there? Thompson or Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Peterson. Was Peterson... Let me erase this on my computer so I don't make that mistake again. Oops. Was Peterson... All right, there we go. Um, the preferred pick for any of you guys. You know, I, I don't have strong feelings about it. I'm looking at the, the guys who were taken around him and, like... None of them are really jumping out to me as anything particularly good, you know. Um, Peterson obviously hasn't really developed well. Like, um, I remember thinking at the time of the draft that he was a guy who had a pretty good slider that hopefully he would be able to add some speed, some velocity to it to make it take a jump, you know. Mm-hmm. Um the guy with very good command, and particularly very good command of the breaking ball. However, he never really got that speed jump that I was hoping he would get. You know, I was hoping he'd eventually sit more 91 to 94 than, you know, 88 to 92. Yeah. Uh, and really, he's just, like, not a super athletic dude. <laughs> no, he's, no, he's a, Just, like, a, a very big guy. He's a big guy, yep. And he already, and now he has knee problems that seem pretty persistent, which is... Yep concerning um but uh, yeah i didn't really have a problem with the pick yeah me neither mm-hmm. like again it felt like they just missed on some interesting guys mm-hmm. uh, like helio ramos yeah was, he was the one i wanted most yeah he yeah, was in the pick right some, before yeah i had i had looked at nate pearson beforehand um during that draft um but i didn't i'm not going to pretend i had strong feelings on nate pearson it was just like you know I don't love anyone. This pick is fine. He hasn't been over... Like, the thing I always look for with, with college pitchers are, are, is have they been overworked because it happened so often. Peterson hadn't. It seemed like mm-hmm. his arsenal was good. He also um, had a really, really good year at Oregon. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Um, it was fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Sometimes, sometimes you get lucky with these guys when you pick, like, a stuffed lefty. Sometimes they pop. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Pearson has definitely been the most successful player in that kind of second half of the first round grouping. And yeah. like he's he's going to be a big leaguer, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peterson is is. I'll be very surprised if Peterson doesn't. You know, I really it just have to be like catastrophic injury or something yeah. that that's going to stop him at this. Even point. if he ends up more of like a loogie, which I, I think is a role that he'd be pretty good in, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not terrible. Like it's it's still back into the first round. It happens. It's better than you know taking a guy and them you know, falling apart. Right. So like there, this the back end of this draft. What back into the first round of this draft really hasn't been great. Honestly, after ten in this draft hasn't been great. Like most of these guys are not much of anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not good. Very top-heavy. Although there's some guys, that, you know, like, I my feelings on Joe Adele are very well-known. Um, yeah. <laughs> they can't but, a lot of, some very good high-end talent, but not a very deep class at all. The mm-hmm. top 10 are, are exciting, and I guess you could stretch that to top 12, because Shane Baz is a prospect, and Jake Berger has a great name. So... Berger. 
very <laughs> like and, and imagine a dude named Jake Berger. You are correctly imagining Jake Berger. <laughs> <laughs> he's blown out his Achilles twice now, though. So it's, oh no, it's yeah. Oh, he's only he's only six two two ten. It's not that big. That's that's uh, not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's TLDR on Peterson. I think it's kind of like shrug. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. There was nobody heads and tails. Maybe you could make the case that Seth Romero, based on just this stuff only, mm-hmm. but he's also a noted asshole. So. Yes. <laughs> and they got supposedly they were planning on taking Vientos in the first. But Peterson fell to them, and then they were able to get Vientos in the second. So, you know, fine. That's a yeah. good draft. Yeah. I mean, it's it's similar to kind of how Kay worked out, where, you know, he's a kind of blah pick. But part of the reason why they went to him is because they were intending on saving some money and using it elsewhere. Similar to Peterson, although I don't think that they actually saved any money with him. But he was a kind of blah pick, and they had their eye on someone else, and they were able to get both of those guys. So, yep. you know, the process, in the end, everything works out. Yep. All right, well, speaking of working out, let's go to 2018, and the Mets pick Jared Kalanick. And I think that that was the right choice. Yes. Yeah, like... um. Basically, all of the the really high end college players were picked one through five. Yep. Um, I, I personally liked India a lot, Jonathan India, who went at number five. So, like when all the college good college players are gone, typically the goal should be to get whoever the best prep is. Yep. Uh, and I, I think Kalnick is pretty clearly the best prep hitter. Yeah, it's important to note, I guess, that the Mets picked six here. And in mm-hmm. majority of the years prior, they're usually picking like around 15, you know, like 15 to 20-ish, whatever. So the Mets were in the top tier of talent at this point. Yep. I was hoping that um, Madrigal might fall to them. But since that didn't happen, I didn't really love Bohm or India, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously neither of them made it made it there either so Kellenick was was the correct choice i think now this mm-hmm. is also the toughest draft to evaluate right now because we have one year worth. yeah of very little so. data right. right i also like nolan gorman a lot basically i was between the two of them as you know mm-hmm. who who's going to be the best prep hitter out of this class but mm-hmm. uh and i prepared a little thing basically gorman had the better year post-draft where he you know destroyed the appy league and ended up in the sally league even though he was probably not ready for the Sally League as a, I think, 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, hit a ton of power, but a ton of Ks, close to 40% in the Sally, um, whereas Cal- and then kind of struggled in the Appy. But as we know, evaluating guys in their draft years is very difficult. Are, are you mm-hmm. telling me that the Mets didn't promote someone when they probably should have, Ken? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelnick hit 413, 451, I'm- 609 for the GCL Mets. I'm uh, shocked. Yeah. Shocked. Well, shocked, I tell you. Well, not that shocked. Yeah. Um, basically, this year they've kind of flipped. Gorman's, mm-hmm. they've both been very good, but Kelnick at time of recording is hitting 301, 394, 545, as literally anybody on Mets Twitter can tell you. <laughs> uh, they've basically hit for the, the same, similar, like, I think Gorman has one additional home run. He walks a little bit less, strikes out a little bit less, but all within the fudge factor. I don't know. Kelnick's very good. <laughs> Kelnick also has a nice way to runs created of 169. So Very nice. That is lost. He also plays up the middle for now. So Mets lost the trade. They lost the trade, everyone. Oh, no. Hmm. <laughs> R.I.P. our mentions. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, that was... That was fun, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, this is this is a surprisingly positive review of the Mets drafts. Yeah, the thing it's I think okay. that they they hit well with Conforto, and then they hit well with Kellenic, and just in those years between, and obviously they didn't have anybody in 2015, but mm-hmm. in you know 2016, 2017, it's not like they just whiffed. You know, they nope. made solid picks. Nobody has really shown themselves to be heads and tails better than who the Mets picked. And, you know, that's that's reassuring, I guess, that they're not really missing in the first round. 
we're now far enough removed from the early 2010s that when we do these shows, we don't have to talk about the Dominic Smith and Gavin Sakini picks, which uh, would it be as glowing in terms of our review? No, not yeah. uh, not good. <laughs> not great, Bob. That's uh, speaking of our mentions, uh, uh, Dom Smith. Uh, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Dom Smith crew on uh, Twitter.com. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, we should never mention the Dom, Dom Smith stand squad. Uh, <laughs> well, we just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never again. Where's but in the a, mo- in a mocking stand way. squad at this point? I mean, it's just Sam and Y, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I don't follow like anybody on Twitter, really. I, I have no okay. clue who any of these people are. You're I don't really know what they say. Well, yeah, but, it's not worth it. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. That ends our draft review segment. And brings us to Oh Yeah, That Guy, where we take a look back and remember some of the Mets minor leaguers from yesteryear that we probably have forgotten about. So who wants to go first? All right, I will go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, on May 25th, 2003, oh, excuse me, 2013, uh, versus the Bradenton Marauders, Angel uh, Angel Kwan threw seven innings, allowing two hits, walking none, and striking out nine. Plus, he uncorked a wild pitch and, and hit a guy. So seven innings of nine strikeouts, pretty good. And uh, for those of you who don't remember, Angel Kwan signed with the Mets as an 18-year-old out of Panama in September 2007, and then he started his professional career off in the v- v- yeah, excuse me, he started his professional career off with the VSL Mets in 2008. VSL, not DSL. The VSL was an alternative to the DSL in Venezuela that a lot of teams had. Uh, teams on in until 2015 when the league folded. So, uh, Mets had a team there from 2005 to 2009. So he came stateside in 2009. He played for Kingsport in Brooklyn, and he wasn't really that great. Uh, he combined to post a 5.05 ERA over 67.2 innings, most of them coming at Kingsport. Then he spent most of 2010 in Brooklyn. And the New York Penn League made him look like money, and he posted a 2.03 ERA there, which is good for third best in the entire league among qualified starters. He went to Savannah in 2011 and was with St. Lucie in 2012, and he wasn't really that bad, but he wasn't really anything good either. Um, He spent 2013 and 2014 bouncing up and down between St. Lucie and Binghamton, getting older and getting progressively worse because AA was exposing him. Uh, A knee injury that he had in June 2014 didn't help, but his upside was pretty limited to begin with. And then at the end of the season, the Mets released him, and that was the end of Angel Kwan. And the biggest knock on him basically was his size and lack of stuff. He was 5'11", 150 pounds. So that's really small then for a pitcher. Um, The fastball was bad even for a left-hander. It basically sat in the mid to high 80s, like 85 to 89. And then his secondary pitches were kind of fringe to average. Uh, he threw a curveball and a changeup. So without a decent fastball, he basically had 
you know, secondary breaking balls that just kind of flash okay. And when you don't have plus secondary stuff to thrive as like a junk baller, you know, you don't really have a chance. And Quan did not. So that is the tale of Angel Quan. <laughs> That's uh, another sad, sad tale of minor leagues. Minor leaguers gone by. Yep. Yep. Uh, I have a similar one for this week's. Um, on May 26, 2014, for Binghamton, Darren Gorski, a left-handed pitcher out of Cutstown, uh, University of Cutstown, I guess, it, University of Pennsylvania, Cutstown, uh, threw a complete game shutout with um, nine innings of allowing just two hits and one walk and striking out six. Pretty good day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a seventh-round pick of the Mets in the 2009 draft and uh, generally spent most of his time in the organization shuffling between Binghamton and Las Vegas, depending on who needed an arm at any given time. Uh, he was in the organization for about seven years until he left via minor league free agency following the 2015 season. Was briefly uh, in the Nats organization before being released towards the end of spring training, uh, and then ended up pitching for the Somerset Patriots, who are based about four or five miles from my house. <laughs> Uh, before the Mets picked him up at the end of that season, too, um, needing, you know, extra arms for AAA, and he pitched pretty terribly in Vegas down the stretch in 2016, throwing a 5.9 ERA over 68.2 innings and uh, 53 Ks against 29 walks. So, yeah, not great, uh, for, but not terrible for an indie ball find. And uh, as far as I know, he pitched a little bit in 2017 for the Royals AA affiliate and hasn't been heard from since. So Disappearing into the night. Yep. <laughs> Wherever you are, we wish good things for you, Darren. Yeah, he was a, he was a favorite of uh, Amazing Avenue Audio. Yeah. For a while. Yep. There were some lean years there for a while. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy I picked was a similar similar timeline. Uh, that would be Zach Lutz. He was picked in the fifth round of the twenty seven uh twenty seven. Jesus, I need more sleep. Two thousand seven draft. Twenty uh, ninth pick of the fifth round. So that's one eighty three overall. Uh, he spent. He was a uh, picked as a a uh, college bat, but didn't move particularly fast. Uh, bounced around in the in. Uh, low or bleh, low A and uh, advanced A for the first two years of his career. Uh, never really got succeeded at Triple uh, A at any point outside of Vegas. He did get a brief cup of coffee with the Mets in 2012, and then a slightly longer one in 2013. Um, his 2013 appearance was actually pretty great. He had 304, 62, 400 in 26 plate appearances, um, but never ne- didn't come back after that. Um, stayed in the Mets system for two more years at AAA, just kind of kicking around. Eventually was released and went to the Marlins for a little bit before uh, retiring uh, after 2016. So he does have a, he has a shockingly good line for his career. It's 226, 351, 290, which is a not, doesn't sound great, but that's a 94 weighted. Uh, never got a home run, but did get a couple hits. So he, he made it, which is uh, more than a lot of people can say. Uh, the actual week I was looking at in question is 2014 between the 15th of May and the 25th of May. And I gave, gave me some leeway with the borders here. Uh, he had 349, 391, 512 with a 903 OPS and uh, two dongs. So a nice a nice week to 10 days for Mr. Lutz at AAA. Yep. He was, he was a guy. Yeah. A highly rated guy in the turn of the uh, 2010s. Yep. Uh high on a lot of prospect lists just didn't really pan out nope i mean i wrote about this i'm also pretty sure i've mentioned writing about this in the past but i wrote about this with drew gan the drew ganio's write-up last season or his, his season in review like the fact that he finally made it and i think all of us can can appreciate the guys who even if they weren't very good stuck around in the minors for eight years or nine years but got to the majors at some point like 
that there's some there's some romantic element of baseball about that. Yeah, yeah you're basically like it's it's something that will be on your resume forever, and like it's proof that you're one of the say 300 best players in the world at any right. given time. Yeah, or at that point in time. So, good job, Zach. Yep. Yeah, you frame that baseball card. You you collect that you know health insurance, and you hold on to those memories. Yep. Because God knows the kind of garbage that minor league players have to go through to get to that point. And especially the ones that are older and then have to start weighing the choices between do they give up the dream, give up the hunt and, you know, get a real job and have to support, you know, their their growing families or or whatever or keep going. So for anyone to make it. And doing this while playing what, 40 or 50 games a year in Vegas during the summer? Right. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah, starts, depressing place to be. <laughs> starts, you know, game start at 710 and it's 110 degrees out. On oh, like, oh uh, my God. I don't think I'd make it. No. Because I'm not a baseball player, but if I was, I would not <laughs> make it. I'm entirely too pale for... Uh, uh, I, I would tan. I, would, I just can't stand the heat. No, I go straight to burning. all right well if anybody has any questions comments send us an email at our email address from complex to queens one word at gmail.com you could follow us on twitter shoot us questions there i'm at steve cypher lucas is at elvlahost343 and ken is at ken1191 you can even friend us on facebook why not and subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate it, review it, leave comments on whatever platform you're using to do those things. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back next week with another review of the Mets Final League season.